Hey there, I'm Janie Budnick, the pet sitter guru and founder of Pet Biz Hive and Pet Biz MBA. The Pet Biz Hive podcast is a space for pet business owners to still get all those things done while getting some tips and business education in their ears. So pop in an earbud and get ready for the buzz. Hey there, guys. This is Janie with another episode of the Pet Biz Hive, and I am super excited. We are at the end of the Texas Pet Centers Association Conference down in Dallas, and so I get the privilege of doing my interview right here in person. <laughs> so right here with me, I have Kim, Kim Tank with Apron Strings Pet Sitting. Yes, Apron Strings Pet Sitting. Um, we're at the end of the conference. We're tired. Our minds are completely blown. Um, I'm, I'm, it's casual day. I'm, I'm in my Def Leppard Motley Crew t-shirt. So getting ready to hop on a plane myself to head to the NAPS conference. So super excited that we can actually do this live together. So welcome, Kim. Um, for, gee, probably the few people that don't know who you are, because you're a legend, of course, in the industry. <laughs> Tell everyone a bit about your own pet business. Well, I've been operating aprons things. <laughs> exactly. I know. I, I jumped all over like, hello. Ah. You know, clearly we have having fun. Now. Yeah. <laughs> Apron, strings, pet sitting in the San Francisco Bay Area. I started in 1990, although I did it kind of as a hobby sitter before then. Um, and we've been continually running since then. We're one of the oldest ones in the area, if not the oldest. Um, seven years ago, we moved to the Sierra Foothills, so I do a lot of managing remotely. Um, and we do a little bit of pet sitting up there. But uh, my main service area is... Um, in the Concord Walnut Creek area. Which is just pretty incredible because, I mean, you you are one of the founding people in the industry. So you've seen it from, you know, every single aspect. And it's funny because we do have such a similar similar start, mm -hmm. both being vet techs, uh -huh. doing yes. it on the side and heading into our own show from there. So, um, but yeah, you were, you're one of the OGs. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, my career as a vet tech definitely led to my pet sitting. Um, it, it, when, it, when I began making more money doing that than working, I realized that there's something this could actually yeah, work. Yeah, this could work. <laughs> well, that's kind of how I got started, too. It's just getting out there like, wow, this can be an actual business. Uh -huh. <laughs> like yeah. a legit business. Mm -hmm. But we could talk forever about all of the transitions over those years of having, having a family, raising a family while you're doing mm -hmm. this. And uh transitions with technology and of course uh, you and I both take full advantage of the technology yes. that we have available to us we have learned that is very very important mm -hmm. so of course I wanted to have you on the podcast today because I am finishing up you're the grand finale of my series <laughs> with uh, coaches consultants uh, in the industry and, and strategists and one of the things that you have really um become passionate about over the years is is HR. And that's not something that a lot of people get passionate about. I agree. <laughs> so what it like what led you to start studying about HR yourself? Well, I became fascinated in learning all of the things I needed to learn to run my business. And as a pet sitter, you know, we are often our own HR department of one. <laughs> yes. Change that hat. Yeah. And being in California, we 
seem to have, um, I, I want to say just the strictest rules, uh, to put it bluntly. If, <laughs> if, you can, <laughs> if you can do it in California, you can pretty much yes. do it anywhere. And I've managed to have employees in California for almost 26 years now. Um, but we constantly have to keep up with changes. And um, I've had, because I've had employees for so long, I've had a number of people coming to me saying, can you help me? And so in a drive to not only learn for myself, but make sure I'm giving people the proper advice or at least steering them in the right place if I don't know, it led me to keep digging and digging. And I've attended seminars uh, put on by the state of California and anything I can get my hands on about learning how other people have employees around the country. And uh, it also uh, became so interested that I decided to pursue some education on another level with HR. So I, we have a community college in the area. Um, they started off with in-person classes and then went online during COVID. Um, and so I have a, uh, they have a certificate program for HR, just an educational series. There are three levels. I've just um, kind of got busy for a while, got bogged down with things and decided to finish it up. So I have now earned my first level of the HR certificate for the community college and I plan to go on and and earn more. Um, They have a number of classes, which is so fascinating because it's people of all different industries, people who work in HR, people who run their own companies and we have discussion groups and um, it just shows you that we all deal with the same issues, whether we're pet sitters or not. No matter what the, yeah, it's all business issues. Mm -hmm. When you're dealing with employees, you've got a whole different playbook that you have to work Mm -hmm. from. So, so that's pretty cool. So you're officially now you are certified in human resources and I can't imagine like all of the things that you would have probably learned during that. I know, um, so many pet businesses will, uh, take a stab in the dark or they'll make assumptions or just because someone else told them to do it this way, they do it that way. Uh, very few of us will actually consult a labor attorney because they're freaking expensive. I have one. (laughs) It's like $325 an hour. And even if I shoot an email off to him, just to answer it, he always makes it sound like, Oh, I had to research for like 10 hours. (laughs) So, um, so yeah, I mean, I can see why it just feels like a huge barrier to people if they can't easily get the information. And sometimes like even in your own state, everything with HR is very heavily state-based and it can be hard to navigate some of those websites. Right. And, and of course I'm not an employment attorney and never profess. Oh yes. Any disclaimer. Yes, disclaimer, disclaimer. But I can send people in the right direction a lot of times. And one of the things I do is help people ask the right questions. This is what you should research with your state. This is where you should look. Um, I'm, I, I'm trying to, you know, memorize all the uh, state I departments can't. of labor. I, I can't even. Um, but I think I know the questions to ask and, mm-hmm. um, what you need to be aware of. There are a number of different issues um, that you want to be clear on. Before yeah, you. some real stumbling blocks that if you're not if you're not prepared for those things, um, you know, we, we all like to consider, oh, we're small business, we're small beans. Nobody's going to pay any attention to us until someone does. Exactly. And, you know, it's one thing having a business and, and choosing your operations and stabbing in the dark, but it's different when you start involving other people. Exactly your employees that come in the door and, um, and just the risk that you take on 
in compliance. That's one thing <laughs> I've always told everyone. I said, when you're small, when it's just you, if you make mistakes, it only affects you. But once you hire other people, you have a great responsibility to do it right um, because uh, you are affecting other people's lives. And yes. something, even a part-time job, a job is a very personal, important thing to a person. Um, and so they need to be treated right. And just for that reason alone. And then there's all the legal aspects. You never know when you could have one person who decides something isn't right and they make some waves for you. Yes. So, you know, and we, we were talking a little bit before this, you know, about all of the different, um, the different things that you see people talk about in the forums and the things that are like, Ooh, that's a pink flag or damn, that's a red flag. Mm -hmm. We like, please don't do that because you are really vocal trying to, um, to share the right information with people on the mm -hmm. forums. You're always in there, you know, giving the good stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, there are times when you get an awful lot of pushback. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I mean, this podcast is not about employees versus ICs, but we are both very clear which line that we stand on that, you know, in the industry, we just neither one see that there's any way to really do independent contractors legally. So, um, but we're not talking about that. It's like one of those things where you say the science is decided. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, so the, the other things that just have to do with employees in particular, you know, one thing I just not thought about is how important employee handbooks are. Yes. So, you know, what did you really learn about that? I, I consult with so many people that that don't have one or they have one that's been kind of sloppily put together. or Maybe it hasn't been reviewed by an attorney first and um, or somebody just buys one from somebody else online and doesn't make any corrections. And well, there's a lot of state-based stuff you have to worry about. Exactly. And it's your foundation for everything. Because when there is an issue that comes up, it should be something where there is an answer in that manual. Now, whether you legally have to have one or not, I don't think you don't. But you should. Mm -hmm. Because it's sooner or later, there's going to be an issue and you'll want to know um, how you can show the employee your reasoning behind something. It should all be there. Everything about um, time off ex and expectations mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. And all of your, I call it legalese that should be in there as far as harassment and yes. discrimination and um, your FMLA, which most of us are smaller companies and don't have to worry about that sort of thing, mm -hmm. but it should be there anyway. Um, okay. Because you don't know if you, um, I mean, if it's not, I'm sure you're fine, but it's something that if you've got access to it and you're doing a manual, you might as well, well just throw because it you never know if you are going to reach that threshold one day you turn around and, oh, I have 50 employees now oh, yeah. and that sort of thing. So, you know, I have it in mind because it was in the one that my attorney did for me. Um, and it gives you an appreciation for all of that serious stuff you have to keep in mind all the time. So um, it's good to have one. You can operate without one, but it's, um, I think it, it's another way you can show your employees that this is a serious, yes. legitimate business. Mm -hmm. um, that you're, you know, that you have standards and that um, because we have standards and, and they have standards that they expect of us. And it just, it's an, another level of showing that you have legitimacy. Yeah. And I mean, that you're all about taking care of your employees. Exactly. And that's important. I know 
Um, you know, for those that don't have an employee handbook, of course, you can find some of the boilerplate things online. Do make sure that you have your attorney review it. Um, it's surprising when uh, your state can make policies that need to be in there. Yes. Um, I discovered that last year that, that my state added on um, uh, a policy for, um, let me remember what it is, um, domestic violence that you, um, you're required to provide anyone who's a victim of domestic violence uh, two weeks. It doesn't have to be paid, but that was, um, that was something that I discovered had just been passed in the state. And I could just as easily have not even known about mm-hmm. that. So, um, so that's the important reason to make sure that you're putting it, you know, by somebody who knows what is going on in your state and can make sure that that handbook is, is compliant. Yes. And it should be reviewed every so often. In fact, mine is due for a review. Yeah. And now my employment attorney retired. So I have to find, okay, who's going to review my manual for me? Yes. Yes. Well, here's a little um, side for those of you that have ADP. I don't know if Gusto or anyone else has this, but ADP has an actual HR program that if you sign up for their HR program, they will provide you with a compliance employee manual. So that is pretty cool. And it'll be compliant for your state too. Um, For those of you that don't have one in the show notes, I'm going to drop the outline from mine just so you get a general idea of the categories because you do need to have the, um, the, yeah, like your, uh, dress code. Yeah. You're going to have your drug and alcohol. You're going to have your open door policies. Um, yeah. You're going to have harassment policies, all of those kinds of things. A lot of people don't understand sometimes the difference between an employee handbook and a training manual. So you just have to make right. sure those two are kind of separate documents. Mm-hmm. It's better to have them separate. Yes. It's too much information. It's to all in one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and even as it is, my employee handbook is, is pretty big. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it can be an evergreen document. <laughs> yes. We Once upon a time, we had our uh, drug policy. That's kind of changed a little bit. You know, now we've, I mean, of course, got, uh, was just the uh, marijuana's made legal in our last voting thing. So, um, you know, we mm-hmm. clearly can't do any drug tests anymore, but you have to modify things. So, you know, so it's <laughs> at least phrased the correct way. Mm-hmm. So what, you know, what are some of the other big things that you've seen, um, you know, in the forums or talking to other pet business owners that are real tripping points on HR? Well, we talked a lot about um, employment ads. And, okay. And mm-hmm. um, I think we have to be very careful about how we phrase things. Um, we were talking about a lot of sitters like to, well, it's a big issue. We have very distinct service areas. Yes. And Obviously, we'd like our our employees to be as close in as possible. It makes it easier for everyone, for retention, for getting to things on time. But we have to be very careful about how we word when we want someone to be in a certain area. Because if we are very distinctive about a certain town or a certain neighborhood that someone must live in that Mm. could be considered discrimination on a it's a big mouthful, a socioeconomic their status. Um, if, for example, it's a very affluent area that you serve and you'd like people to live in that area, if you insist upon that, then that could be a discriminatory um, issue. Um, whether or not anyone will ever challenge you on that is another thing. Yeah. But I think you want to have a company culture that promotes 
um, something other than that. So well, yes, other than, other than. <laughs> so you could word it that here is where the work is. You need to be able to get to that area. You need to have transportation into that area. Or I do believe you can say that they need to be able to get there within a certain time frame. For example, if you have a certain number of visits a day that you're doing and there's going to be some back and forth, if they obviously, if they live too far away, it's it's not going to work. It's probably not going to work at all. But don't start out with a specific area they need to live in because that can be taken the wrong way, mm -hmm. definitely. And so I think we have to be careful about the questions that we ask. Um, I, I know that there are some issues with um, age and I think you just need to be careful about um, requiring a certain age. It's, I think there's some gray areas there, but I think the important thing is to look at your candidates, the full picture, mm -hmm. rather than um, setting some standards at first that could be discriminatory. So yeah. again, I think I just want to remind everybody, you you don't want to be asking someone if they have children. Uh, you don't want to ask about childcare. You want to ask, turn it around and ask about the availability. We're all concerned about someone who has kids because well, maybe they have to be home with the kids and they they can't, um, they can't work very many hours or, or, or they might be tempted to think that they, this is a job they can bring their children with them. Oh yeah, clarify that right up front. So I think, of course, we want to find out if they have those issues, but we have to turn it around and ask it in a different way. Are you available these hours? This job requires that you come alone. Is that going to be a problem? So that gives them the opportunity there. Uh, but it's a way of asking what we really need to find out without asking it the wrong way um, about childcare or children. And the same thing goes for smoking, although that's um, a tricky area because there are some is. states that sm smokers are, I believe, a protected class and some aren't. You've got to be kidding me. I, I'm not okay, sure about that, that, but... You're going to have me Googling here. Yeah, I want to say protected class in terms of whether it depends on how you can regulate what they do in their off time and that sort of thing. So I need to look it up because that keeps changing too. Okay. So I don't want to say, Oh, this or that about that. But if um, what I, t I say on my application is there's no smoking permitted on the job on the premises, right? All of the properties of the clients. Is that a problem? And I expect them to answer, you know, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but honestly, I, I, I've had people work for me for a few years before I found out they were smokers. Totally, yeah. So I found um, out, you know, not terribly long ago that my manager's a smoker. <laughs> All right, I don't know if you don't come in and smell it, then yeah, I don't yeah. Know. So I think it's all about. Um, looking and seeing what our requirements are and asking it in a way that's not discriminatory. So okay. there's definitely ways you can phrase things. So that we have to be careful about. Yeah, definitely that. And especially in your ads, what you have literally written, mm -hmm. you know, we were saying, okay, it's highly unlikely you're going to have some troll out there going through ads, just trying to find someone that's non-compliant to be able to pursue them. But you know, we, we invest a lot into our businesses. We don't mm -hmm. want to have anything that is just an obvious risk to, losing what we have, getting sued, because nobody's got time for that, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. So, um, you know, I know in mine, of course, I want people to live within our service area, but, 
you know, in my phrasing is the ideal candidate would live within our service mm-hmm. territory. And then I list it out. But I, I was one of those people years ago that used to say, you must live in these areas. Blew my mind with that whole socioeconomic class discrimination. Yeah. I mean, I would, I don't think that way. So, right. So, um, yeah. certainly not so, intentional, but absolutely. But the way you try to turn around and phrase it, it, it makes so much difference. Yeah, it does. It does. So a lot of this is semantics, people. It's figuring out the, the way to say things with the right words that uh, that you get the information you need. Mm-hmm. Love that. So uh, what else are you seeing that is uh, a big hang up? So we've, we've kind of covered that hiring uh-huh. ad in our interviewing process. Well, I think it's important when you decide how you're going to pay people to make sure that you're compliant with all the laws there. Because one thing I see sometimes on the forums is mentioned, well, we talk about hourly rate and minimum wage and drive time and all of these issues. And occasionally it'll pop up that someone says, well, I pay by the visit, so I don't have to worry about that. Mm, Right. And you do have to worry about everything, no matter how you pay. So, um, and I understand in this industry, it's complicated because we have people doing sometimes a single visit at a time, sometimes several shifts during the day. And I can't emphasize enough that on a state level, you'll want to talk to someone to become very clear to make sure that you don't have any of these issues that are come up coming up. Um, for example, let me give you a few things that, that you'll want to check on a state level for yourself. And by checking on state level, who are they contacting? Probably their Department of Labor, or if there's, uh, or one of their branches of that that handles the um, wage and hour laws. Wage and hour laws. Okay, right. So uh, you want to check and see if there's a minimum shift law. Now, I don't think very many states do, but I'm pretty sure I think Rhode Island has one where you have to give them a certain amount of hours. And and I understand this has been a a, a scary thing for people with employees because. Um, I'm always telling people you don't have to promise a certain amount of hours and you really don't on a weekly basis, but you could be in a state that says that there's a two hour minimum that you have to give them. I think Canada, which, you know, I'm not, I'm certainly not well versed in Canada, but I believe that Canada has some issues like that. So I'm just throwing out out there to check. Believe it or not, California does not have one. Oh, wow. (laughs) They're nice of them. We do have an issue called reporting time. If you, um, if someone's planning on working about four hours and all the clients cancel, I think I have to pay them for at least two hours. I have to pay them for at least half, but it's, it's, it's complicated. So that's not the whole law. Wow. But that's only at the very last minute that if they show up, they have to be paid for a certain amount of minimum comp. Yes. Okay. California has split shift premium laws, which I don't know if we're the only one out there, but we have that. Again, it. check your state. Right. <laughs> I think it's probably just California, uh, where they work some hours in the morning and they have a long break and they work some hours in the evening. Then there's extra compensation that has to come and it, but it's complicated. And I won't even go into that uh, about how the different levels of pay affect whether or not you have to pay them for the minimum of one hour minimum wage or not. Oh my um, goodness. You know, you California people that are listening, just call him. <laughs> I know, just call him. It's so complicated. Honestly, I don't think that there is going to be 
anyone in the industry that's going to be able to help you on that issue. Like Kim. <laughs> yeah. um, it's mind numbing whenever I hear the kind of things you guys have yeah. to go through. And we have, we have overtime after eight hours in a day, not just 40 hours in a week. Uh, so let's just add some icing on that. Yeah. So occasionally I'll have somebody who, whatever happened, something took a lot longer. And, oh, they got a quarter hour of overtime. Okay. So I got to, you know, put that in there. So uh, most people it's over 40 hours, but I'm sure there are plenty of pet sitters and, and that brings up the overnight issue, of course, which I'm not going to fully oh, go into since no, I don't yeah. even Let's hit it. do them. But uh, yeah, so uh, overnights, it, you, it's a pretty much federal thing. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, you got to pay, you got to pay the minimum wage for all the hours that they're working. Now people say, well, there's exceptions. Yeah. There's exceptions. If they're doing 24 hour care and they're in the home for 24 hours, then you are allowed to deduct eight hours of sleep time. If there are, I believe if there are no interruptions, I yes. could be wrong about that, but I, I think Ooh, I could actually come in and say something. <laughs> Fact sheet 22 people. So that is actually something that I, I researched quite a bit um, that yes, I mean, 24 hour. And I guess that brings up a point I hadn't thought about because we do have um, you know, a direction we're going in the industry where a lot of people are starting to offer 24 hour services. So, you know, that puts you, I mean, of course, fact sheet 2022 was kind of created for a lot of the in-home services, the, the nursing care, mm -hmm. um, home health kind of people. And so 24 hour care, if somebody's providing 24 hour care and kind of doing the live-in from that person's house, I wonder if that would qualify. But fact sheet 22 does say that you ha they have to have at least five hours of uninterrupted mm -hmm. sleep. Um, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, I wasn't sure. Yes, I think it is five hours of uninterrupted. Yeah. Oh, but. yeah, I've read that thing so many times because I, I kept going back to my labor attorney, like, is there any way we can get around this? And then there was actually um, a little committee was that in 2020 that we started that? Oh, were you on that yeah. one too? Yeah. yeah, I don't know what's happened with that. Oh yeah, I got the information. Okay, well, sorry, we got it. we're having a side conversation <laughs> yeah. here. We'll fill you guys in on what we're talking about. So, um, there were some really amazing pet businesses that that all got together that was so concerned about this that they were willing to go on a federal level level to the federal Department of Labor to see if we could have a ruling for our industry excluding us from having to pay hourly for sleep time and um, just amazing group of people. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't want to miss someone, so I don't want to like start yeah. naming names, but um, you know, going back and forth with an attorney who is willing to uh, uh, donate some of their time to, to help us do this. And um, they wrote up, it's not called a proposal. I forgot what, oh, what that yeah. document was called a petition. I think it was a petition to, to the federal cool. department of labor uh, with just a lot of great information in there, trying to make it happen for all of us. And they did get um, report back to the Department of Labor that, you know, they weren't willing to address the issue. So um, really frustrating on that level. But what I can also say is that your state can override that information also. Um, so it's, it's something that, you know, I'd probably recommend if you guys are really passionate about it, some of you can get together and go to your state representatives to mm -hmm. see if anything can be adjusted based on an, I'm one of your constituents level. <laughs> right. So yeah, I was, I was going to do that. It was disappointing that the federal government wasn't willing to, to look at it. I guess they still think our industry is kind of small beans, but, um, one of the main arguments was, um, 
that it really is a detriment to uh, labor and employment because it is promoting the um, the companies out there that are not paying full minimum wage overnight and the employees are the ones that are suffering. So therefore the employers who are trying to actually be compliant, um, you know, we, we don't have any ability to protect our employees. Right. And we also expressed an interest that we want to have legitimate employees and yes. it's so difficult on a, in some areas to be able to charge what we need to charge to actually pay them, that it's promoting the use of some people going back to contractors and we want to have employees, want to have yes. that full control. Uh, so it's a it's a it's an important issue in our industry, but I think um, that goes back to tracking the hours and yes. understanding that paying a flat rate doesn't negate those wage and hour and I, and I think um, I know it would be nice if we it, because if the employee agrees to it, you're thinking, well, they agree. I agree. Yeah. Well, oh, it's so great. But there's a thing called the law that just that gets pesky. <laughs> <laughs> a thing called the law. <laughs> well, you know, and, and, and that's an argument that I've heard from some really large companies, too, is, oh, well, you know, my people really love doing overnights because they sleep, mm -hmm. they make the extra money. Nobody's going to ever have any issue with it. They're fine with what I pay. And, you know, that's how I went along with it also for quite a long period of time. It was it was an agreement. The students, the college students that I had loved making that extra money at night. It was super easy for them. So they're never going to complain. Right. But it takes one person, one person, one person who realizes, oh, legally, I'm supposed to be paid hourly for that. And I'm not. They go to the Department of Labor and you're screwed. Yes. And this is going to bring back to another topic when I was talking about the various ways you pay and how it all matters, whether you're paying flat rate or hourly for anything. Because if you have a claim like that, they're going to come to you for your records, yes. the time records of when the person worked. So if you can't produce actual time records, pretty much you've lost by that point, because if they've the burden of proof will be on, on you. you. Yeah. And if you don't have the records to support your claim, you will have nothing to fall back on. And it's pretty much you're done at that point. So it's important to know when your workers are working in, in regardless of the overnight issue, just on a straight level of visits, they would want to see when did they start work this day? When did they end work this day? And if you're like, well, I don't know, they just had four visits. Um, then you will have no way to prove your side if you have an issue. Yeah. So. I mean, understand people, the Department of Labor is not there for you. They are there for your employees. Right. <laughs> so like she said, it's the burden of proof is on you. And so. other industries, it's the standard in most industries to track time of the workers mm -hmm. and to keep these mm -hmm. records. So just because we're different on how we operate is not a free pass. To avoid all of that so yes um, we have to we have to keep track of, of when people are working and we do have to compensate for drive time i know that a lot of people get confused about mileage and drive time yeah they really do they it's... do and they're like well how, why do i have to do for both isn't that double no one is one is paying for the time Mm -hmm. And one is paying reimbursing for expenses. So like if someone went to the store for you, you're going to pay them for the time to go to the store and you're going to pay them for the dog food that yes. they bought for you. So that's how I look at it. One's time, one's a reimbursement. Mm -hmm. So um, 
if they're working a shift with a cluster of visits, they have to be paid for the whole time they're out. Now, if you want, you can pay them less for the drive time as long as it's minimum wage. But I don't know why you would want to go through that mess of figuring out that for every hour that they work. Um, I set an hourly rate and they track it from when they start work to when they end work. And that is their hourly rate, whether they're in a car or whether they're at someone's house, because it you're required to get from point A to point B. It's not time they can use for personal stuff. It's mm-hmm. not a break. Right. They're driving their vehicle. That is part of our job. Even though we are pet care professionals, we are also, we drive. Right. I mean, it, the, or walk or whatever. The transportation portion is every bit as part of their work day as the actual pet care. Mm-hmm. So it has to be compensated for it. We're in control of their time. And you have yours built in as hourly. Yes. Whereas I do minus piece. And I see that that's probably the bigger conversation of not paying drive time because I, well, as long as it's included. Right. And, uh, and you're meeting at least minimum wage standards, Mm -hmm. which is a lot easier than in some States than others. But in California with that 1550 being the minimum and it's higher in some counties. (laughs) I'm I'm lucky here. Right. um, We do there's a, a greater motivation to really track that time because we're at the point where um, an extra 10 minutes in traffic or 15 minutes could actually maybe drop us below if we're not careful. Where right. Some of the states where it's 725 and they're probably making quite a bit more than a little variation here is not going to affect minimum wage as much as it might in another state where it's double. Yeah. So, uh, so you know, those of you that are per piece, just kind of run, run your numbers through that mm-hmm. scenario. You know, in my case, I'll just give you an example with mine. Uh, Missouri is $12 an hour. That's our minimum wage as of January 1st. And um, one of our standard visits is 30 minutes. Well, you know, we we have some city areas. We have a lot of um, suburban areas. So I calculate in average, uh, because I've done the calculations, that it takes about 15 minutes of drive time on average. Sure, some are more, some are less. But I have my visit rate calculated based off of that. So you got a 30 minute visit plus 15 minutes of drive time. So that's a 45 minute visit. So I have to, or 45 minutes of the employee's time. So at $12 for minimum wage, that means I have to pay a minimum of $9 Mm -hmm. to them per piece for that visit. Um, But if you are right there at minimum wage and that's close to what you're paying, you have to compensate for mileage because yes, <laughs> if, you know, let's say you have that one rando person that goes to the Department of Labor and they start auditing you, you are required to make sure that they are compensated for the wear and tear on their vehicles. Mm-hmm. And it has to be above and beyond minimum wage. So, well, you know, like you yes. said, if you are in a state that is at the federal minimum wage, and you're paying people, you know, $12 for a visit, clearly you're compensating enough to cover minimum wage and the wear and tear on your vehicles. But, um, you know, those of you that are paying, you know, per piece where it's close to minimum, you got to make sure you put mileage on top. Absolutely. Because there was, I go back to several years ago, there was some dominoes ruling where the drivers challenged the company because they were making minimum wage, but they were driving their vehicles and they were spending money on gas and wear and tear on their cars. 
So if you look at their expenses to perform their job, which is something when you drive to an office, you don't have any expenses working in an office for eight hours, but we're asking our people to, you know, drive their cars, put gas in their cars. So if that amount each hour drops them below minimum wage, then you're not, that's a violation. You're not paying the minimum wage. So for us, because we pay just above minimum wage, um, it, we, we are required to pay the mileage, but of course there are um, some advantages to paying the mileage separately. If you have an accountable plan, if there yes. are proper records kept. Yes. So it's not like, well, I'm just going to pay them five, five miles a visit. I'm going to call that good and say, we're going to do a mileage reimbursement. Your employees track their miles. And then if they submit them to you in the proper form and you reimburse them, then you have met, you, you're sure that you have properly paid them per hour and their mileage. So again, drive time is included in their hourly rate and then they have mileage on top of that. Mm -hmm. So we do that. There are tax benefits to paying the reimbursement separately because if it's a reimbursement, like paying for the dog food. Now, you know, if somebody goes to the store and spends $5 on dog food, you're paying them $5 back. Same thing with the mileage. Because it's incredibly difficult to track someone's actual wear and tear and actual gas expenses, because we know that's all over the place, the federal government has set a rate. Now, some states re require you, I believe, to pay the full federal rate, and some you can make adjustments downward on that. I think the majority allow you to choose. So in California, I was told that it has to meet their expenses, so it needs to be like close to it, you know, and I'm like, I don't know what that means on a legal level. So right. I'm just going to use the federal rate because I also want to maximize the amount of money I can put in their pocket that is not taxable. Now, anything over and above the federal rate is going to be taxable. Right. They only exactly. allow it right now at 65 and a half cents. They only allow it up that to 65 and a half cents per mile to be paid as a reimbursement and not taxable. I don't want to pay them any more than that. Anyway, it's it's a lot. It adds up. Yeah, that would add up quickly. It does add up. We don't. So, mm -hmm. you know, on the flip side of that, we, because um, of course with mileage, you can, you can choose in most states what you're wanting to pay them. And mm -hmm. we do kind of base ours. Um, I went into the federal website and I saw what they do for reimbursements at the state mm -hmm. level. Mm -hmm. And it was only 29 cents. So federal employees that are driving their own vehicles get reimbursed a lower amount. Uh -huh. So I'm like, well, look at that. So that's kind of some justification right there. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to start with y'all's level and go from there. So, um, so, you know, in our case, we do that because of course, I mean, I'm not, I'm not responsible if somebody decides to drive a Tahoe versus exactly, um, you know, something that like a, a little EV car, but it's another like way to make it an excellent incentive. If you have to send them farther out. Yes. They're, uh, so for me, it's built into their hourly, they're, they're spending more time on the road. That's more time on the clock mm -hmm. and it's more miles when they submit their miles. So they are. I feel uh, I, it's taken away the guilt of asking them to go someplace that's well, that's true. Out. That's true. Because they are automatically the way we do. They're automatically compensated for mm -hmm. that, and there are tax benefits. I'm um, rather than again, you can build it into their rate, but you can get a tax break if you don't and you do it right. So yes. um, it allows me to give them more money 
that's not taxable. And in California now, every state is different with the way they figure their workers' comp. Um, but for me, it is not added into my wage total for workers' comp. So I'm paying mm-hmm. only on the wages, but not on the mileage. So it's definite incentives to separate. Oh, yeah. I mean, payroll taxes, workers' comp for us. And then on their end, they're not paying any taxes on it either. Right. So it's cash in pocket. So I, I uh, again, I, I know that uh, my base... Um, is not a lot over minimum wage, but by the time they get their mileage, it's tacked on quite a bit per hour. Um, I wish I, uh, it's just been a little bit slow. So when it's slower, I tend to have people having to drive farther because right. I can't cluster visits yes, as well. I, and I don't have as many people working, uh, but it, um, it has really allowed them to uh, take home some more money and I feel good about it. I'm not getting complaints about needing more money and, yeah and i I just started i started doing mileage reimbursement january 1st of 2022 because uh, of the increase in gas and just Mm -hmm. trying to figure out how i can balance it out better Mm -hmm. and so i chose to do that because it felt a lot more tangible it was the tax benefits on both ends they could see it on their pay stub that now they're getting that extra and um, i did a little bump in everybody's base pay Mm -hmm. But, you know, they they took the larger increase in uh, tax-free income. So, and I, I I know I did some sort of a podcast on on doing this earlier. I'll, I'll drop the link to that podcast in the show notes because I don't remember which episode it was where I was talking about mileage reimbursement mm-hmm. and stuff like that for people to go back and reference. So, yeah, there's there's so much involved with all of that. Mm-hmm. But, um, but, yeah, no, that's that's great information. So, yeah. Um, Let's roll into like hmm, one of the more difficult things. I did do a <laughs> podcast on disciplinary stuff. Actually, I think I did a couple on those recently because that's that's one of the things a lot of people get intimidated by on taking on employees in the first place is the disciplinary and what if they don't do things the way that I want them to do it. So, um, so what do you see is like an HR challenge whenever you have an employee that's gone wrong? Well, I think the first thing to do is make the expectations really clear. If you oh, have, yeah. if you have some deal breakers that that you feel are going to mean automatic termination, I think that needs to be spelled out in your manual. Yes, um, and it needs to be emphasized during the training process. And of course, one of the reasons we love having employees is because we can have a thorough training process and expectations yes that they should live up to and they should be emphasized constantly during the training um if after a certain time we are seeing some little cracks system things aren't quite getting done as we like well first of all let me go back to two is that um, another great thing about having employees is our ability to monitor them and see what's going on. And I like to, when I first start off an employee, we like to have someone come in after them. And and uh, so they're not doing all the visits in a certain assignment. Not that anybody ever does with us. We use, we have, uh, we'll often have multiple sitters. Yeah. On Go team. Assignment. Right. <laughs> yeah. We learned over the years, team-based operations. So are better. we, um, we, in the beginning, we're just careful about, first of all, we don't want to schedule them too much. So they, we don't want them to feel overwhelmed. We want them to get used to the job. And secondly, we like to have eyes on their work. And so we like to have someone coming in afterwards, maybe doing the last visit of a certain client, just to make mm-hmm. sure everything was in order. Right. And as hard as we try, it doesn't, you know, mistakes just cannot be prevented in this right. industry and, and little things are going to go wrong. And hopefully you have understanding clients. Um, 
and you have a good system for dealing with complaints where you're actively listening to your clients and understanding. But if you have someone with an issue, um, the first thing to do is, you know, talk to them about it. And if it continues, then you want to, well, and you want to document that you talk to them about it. You, you want to keep records on your discussions with your people. So, um, yeah. And, you know, a little caveat here of something that I've learned over the years working with employees. Uh, those are not texting conversations, people. So um, I know most of us have not been managers in previous lives and confrontation is it's difficult for anyone. And you just have to have those conversations in person. So if you have an employee that has, you know, broken a policy procedure or something like that, whether, you know, big, little, um, do the conversation first. You know, there are times you have to make the decision. Mm -hmm. Is this a face-to-face -face disciplinary conversation that we need to have? Um, you know, you being able to connect to that person either by voice so they can hear you. There's nothing misconstrued in text or email. And then, like you said, document. That's what yes. we do in our software program. We have those conversations and then we send them a follow-up email through the system saying, okay, here's the here's issue. What we talked yeah. about. We yeah. actually, we use the nursing SBAR thing. You know, we, we go over the situation and, you know, like behavior, what led to it, um, what the resolution is and how we plan on going forward. So it is 100% documented within our system and they receive the documentation. Because we don't live in an environment where, okay, come on into the office and we're going to sit down here and have counseling and we're going to write up our paper and you're going to sign it. You know, that, that's not something that we can go through in our industry right? for right. most of us, right? So, so yeah, that so is I think document, we, document. Yes, we I need to have a series if we're going to decide how many warnings we're going to have in a step-by-step mm -hmm. -step process. And, and that, that is something to put in your employee handbook. Disciplinary procedures, like do you have level one infarctions i hate that word uh infractions no an infarction is a heart attack wow okay wrong term you can tell i'm a cardiac nurse because i just used the wrong damn term okay um infractions yes so um you know if you've got something that's minor but you know how many times do you allow them to screw up on that same thing and what is a major immediate termination issue because we just have to have those outlines mm -hmm. we don't mm -hmm. want people to be surprised. Right. And that's the whole thing about um, keeping track, documenting this, because if you have someone who um, has been told they're doing a great job, they're doing a great job, they're doing a great job. And then all of a sudden, you know, your work's just not good enough. We yeah. have to let you go. So that's going to trigger something in them to at least be surprised if nothing else. Yes. Um, and you don't want, yes, I know we talk about at will states and you can fire anybody for any reason that's not discriminatory. Right. However, if you want things to go smoothly, there needs to be a process so this person is not blindsided that they have given the, been given the opportunity to improve. Yeah. That's yeah. very important because if they've never been given the opportunity, that I think that really is unfair. That's just freaking rude. Yeah. That's <laughs> terrible. So, I, um, I had that with one of my the vet clinics I worked at. I was just fired not knowing anything. And it was, I mean, it was heartbreaking. And, um, and so I always think from the employee perspective on that, because I mean, we want to love on our people. We want to be mm -hmm. that type of employer that people want to come work for. There's a good reputation. Yes. 
And I mean, communication is so big, even if it's something you're not comfortable with, you just got to get comfortable. You want to make sure that if you get to that termination conversation, it is no surprise to them. Like they're, they're coming in knowing what is going to happen because you have tried to course correct and you've tried to work with them and it's been well communicated and well documented. Um, because, you know, I mean, there's, there's two sides to that. There's potential lawsuit for Mm -hmm. wrongful firing. Um, you know, I mean, unemployment, having them file for unemployment is, is minor compared to legally oh, what could situation. Happen. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, if you get dinged for unemployment, that's just like, that's a thing. That's why we yeah, pay it unemployment. To everybody. I know uh, it's, I get the letter in the mail and I'm like, dang it. What happened? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I hate getting those letters. Yeah. I don't know how it works in your state, but like, if they've worked for several different people in the last couple of years and they get laid off by someone, they submit all the employers they've and had then and they do get nails yes. on it all. So, yeah. So when people talk about, well, I don't have, one of the reasons I've heard people say, I don't want to have employees because I don't want to be you know, liable for unemployment, all this stuff. And you know what, but you can do everything right and you're going to anyway. And that, and that's just not a good enough reason. I think it really to, isn't to change the entire structure of your company because you're afraid of this one small thing. It's, it's really, it hasn't killed off any of us yet. The no. unemployment issue. No. So, and it, and it's another way to protect your people and the whole company culture. We want to have it for the people mm-hmm. that really do need it. Mm-hmm. So it's the right thing to do, but yeah, there's no way to avoid those little things yeah. that come up now and then. <laughs> so. Yeah. That's, that's some big stuff there. Yeah. HR documentation. I mean, you can't, you can't emphasize documenting enough. <laughs> right. <laughs> Every little thing, because, you know, even, even because we have procedures in our company and that's my first question when my managers come to me and say, you know, we have a problem with this. I'm like, okay, where's the documentation? Uh, because the managers are dealing with the day to day and the day to day frustration. If we have an employee who's not performing up to standards, well, I don't see that day to day. So, you know, I feel like I have more of the eyes of compliance. I'm like, all right, well, we don't have enough documented. So, you know, we run into that problem ourselves. Mm. Sometimes it's hard to stop in the moment and make sure that any of those course corrections are documented. But just mm. always, always do that with those. And please, dear Lord, make sure you do it with integrity and with some grace and do it verbally or in person, because that that's huge right. for people our to voices feel like, yeah, to, are so important yes. whenever there's any kind of conflict. And I, and I, I, I believe that with clients too, mm-hmm. when there is an issue, a real issue, we want to be able to express um, the level of care and concern we have, but along with the firmness mm-hmm. of the problem. So yes. Um, I think, you know, we want to be as human as possible in this industry that is so much about caring and nurturing. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think, you know, most people are out there and want to do a good job. And so I look at it from that perspective first, that their intention is probably to do a really good good. job. And how can I foster that, but also correct the problem? Mm -hmm. So yes, the communication style is really important there. That's awesome. Well, I just love that you're able to bring this to the industry. So, um, of course, now let's kind of go full circle here back to talking about your staffing strengths. So what um, I guess tell everybody a little bit more about staffing strings and the kind of opportunities that you have for people. Well, yes. right now I'm just doing one on one. 
coaching. And okay. so I do a consult either by um, email or um, phone call. And then I have an hourly rate that I charge. But, you know, uh, we can get a lot done in a fairly short amount right. of time. And I, I try to help people answer their very specific questions because some people have a little bit of a struggle with reading things or even reading the things they say on see online, how it pertains to their own unique yes. situation. So I'm here for the people that just need that more personal level of care. I'll analyze, you know, how are you doing things now? Uh, get a full picture of your business and make suggestions on how you can make changes or also the people just beginning hiring. Classes. Yeah. There's so much fear there there. Is. because we as pet sitters, I mean, my background was certainly not anything to do with business. Um, hiring was this scary thing that I thought I have to take the next level and learn how to manage people, not just deal with my pet care business. So um, that I try to alleviate some of that fear because I've done it myself. And I thought, no, I can do this. You can do this. That's what yeah. I So I walk people through those processes and try to help them be comfortable with the whole process, which is great to have that kind of a resource. Um, you know, especially with people now who are, you know, stepping right into the, wow, my business is picking up so quickly and I have to hire quickly. Mm -hmm. And, and their brain is still back at the, um, you know, Michael Gerber, um, I'm the technician, uh -huh. I'm doing the work, I'm doing the work and holy crap, what does it mean to be an employer? Yes. That is, that is, is a big step. It's a huge step. It takes us out of this because when we're solo, a lot of us still have kind of an employee mindset. I, I had always been someone else's employee. To work on my own was a big step, but exciting. Mm -hmm. And I could do things the way I wanted to do them. But then once I became an employer, like goes back to you are involving another person's life and impacting their life on a level of their earning their income. Yes. Even if it's just a second job, part-time job, whatever, all the way to full-time it's such a responsibility, but it, this can all be learned. And I tell people it seems overwhelming at first because you're, you're hearing all the terms at once and you're just, it's all like mush in your yeah. head. But I tell them the more you hear these terms, when one thing starts to make sense, then the next thing's going to make sense. And then it all comes together and it doesn't seem so big and scary after all. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Once you get started, it takes that first step. Mm -hmm. Totally doable. You know, don't, don't listen to the naysayers out there that, yeah. Oh, well, that's why I remain so low. You know, I'm like, oh, you know what? That's that's like a joke to me sometimes. I feel like I should put a, a notch on something every time I read that. And I'm like, well, you know, sometimes that's just a lot of fear. Yeah. Because they haven't talked to Kim yet. <laughs> well, it gives you so much freedom. I mean, I, I'm here in, uh, uh, well, Louisville, Dallas. Is that, right yeah, now. Dallas. I'm just like, where Dallas. am I? Because I'm going to be in a couple other places. <laughs> I know. And yeah. But I'm here, uh, you know, I didn't really have to think about, I didn't have to plan months ahead and tell all my clients I was going to be gone. I just, yeah. I didn't even tell half my staff. I'm, you know, I can manage from anywhere and they know how to do their job. And, and so I can travel and I, you know, it's fine to do this job for five years and be stuck working seven days a week. But you have to think, if you want to do this for the rest of your life, how are you going to have a life and your pet sitting business? Yeah. And you really That's need true. a team, yeah. really do need a team to keep a, um, depending on what level of business, if you just want to work here and there, that's one thing. But most of us want to have a, a steady source of income. We, we need a job. Yeah. I need, we yeah, need a job. job yes. yes. <laughs> so, so uh, having a team is, you know, 
changed my life from yeah. what it was in the beginning. Yeah. And I and still get to do the work I love. Mm -hmm. So that's the perfect balance for me. Yeah. And for me, it just, you know, since I have the, the team and the managers and, you know, mm -hmm. I can, I can choose what I want to do. Mm -hmm. you, so, yeah. I mean, if I, if, oh, if it's a beautiful week and I want to go walk my favorite dog and tell Melanie to switch the schedule for me. So, you know. Well, that's just it. A lot of people are like, well, once I give it away to other people, I really can't do it anymore. No, you can step in anytime and do anything. Yeah. You I want. know. You control the schedule. So, yeah. yeah. But, you know, it's, it's the freedom of just being able to make that choice of, mm -hmm. of what you are going to be in your business. Yes. So I love the freedom of it. So, and of course you, now that you are at this stage, you now have your husband kind of sort of in the business with yes, you. Yes, he, he really is. He worked for me for 12 years back in the early part of the century and then decided. To <laughs> oh God, that I know, just made that so I know, I know. Back when we had baby number four in 2001, and I said, I don't think I can do this <laughs> without like, more help. And yes, uh, yes. so he quit his job and said, okay, <laughs> we're grow the business a little bit. Um, but uh, yes, he's doing admin work for me, and he's now offering it to other pet sitters through virtual assisting. So yes. he has a business called Tanks for the Help. Tank, you guys, did you hear uh -huh. that? Tanks. Last name is Tank. Last name's Tank, yes. Fur, F-U-R, and I help. <laughs> Thanks for the help. And right now he can just be found on Facebook. We uh, have been, he's been working so hard in training and learning um, a new system with time to pet so that he, because there's so many sitters that use that. But yes. He, um, yes. Has, because we have our own um, custom software. So he has been spending time learning to do that and is now offering his services and he helps with scheduling, onboarding new clients and that sort of thing. That is pretty awesome. So he's more of a, a technical kind of VA because he is uh, familiar now with Time to Pet, can learn other programs. So, um, so yeah, that's definitely that technical VA space, anybody that has a specific ability in, in the software. So, and that's huge with the mm -hmm. client onboarding. Some of those real things that are very time consuming, especially for the small business owners, the solos, the people who are still out in the field with mm -hmm. teams. Um, there's just not enough hours in the day. Right. He's very thorough. I mean, he does our client onboarding. I love it since he came back on board. So <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Well, I will definitely drop his links down there too. So people can get a hold of him, but, um, yeah. So like, you know, we're, we're on video for some people here and I just realized it's 11, 12 and, uh, we are in my hotel room and yeah, we were supposed to check out 12 minutes ago. I think I just heard housekeeping at the door. So thank you, Kim. Oh, I appreciate welcome. you so much. And guys, you know, conferences, getting the opportunity yes. to see people is invaluable. Uh, hugging these necks over this weekend has been amazing. Uh, don't discount the value of conferences and getting together with other people in person. Yes, nothing like it. Oh my gosh. I love it. So, all right, guys. And uh, this coming weekend, I'm going to be in Naps in New Orleans. So, you know, keep posted. I'm going to have a overview of my spring conference conference season pretty soon so all right we'll talk soon thank you for listening to this episode of the pet biz hive you can follow me at pet biz hive on both facebook and instagram and learn more at petsitterguru.com what is your next best move